Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey, thank you, Joseph, and welcome everyone to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover, and I am enjoying meeting two friends and colleagues tonight, Ivy Starnes and Michelle Martia, and we met over the case of Swagger. So, Ivy, would you like to introduce us to Swagger, his case? Of course. Swagger is a five-year-old Appalachian Brumby. Basically, that means that he was in eastern Kentucky. Uh, He was a feral horse, so not a Mustang, but wild. And these horses are raised in abandoned strip mines. And then sometimes they wander off the mountain and onto public roads. And when that happens, animal control is called. Mm. And they gather them up because now they're they're being endangered and they're endangering, you know, drivers and Mm -hmm. other people. So they rounded him up and someone shared a post about him on Facebook and he's gated and I'm a gated horse trainer and I saw him and I was like, oh, he's beautiful. And the rescue that gathered him was like, oh, we'll send him to you. Oh, you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was going to ask you if he was a Tennessee walking horse. Well, he he could be. There's no we. it's just guesses. So you don't have verification. Correct. But I'm looking at him. I'm not even a Tennessee walking horse expert, but I'm like. That looks like a Tennessee walker to me, but probably not because he's in Kentucky, right? Well, he totally could be. Uh, a lot of the horses in the area are gated. There's standard breads, there's Kentucky mountains, but there's a lot of Tennessee walkers. So okay. odds are he has Tennessee walker in him. Got it. So, All right. Oh, so to continue, yep. they they sent him to me. So he arrived in Texas from Kentucky in early April or like the last weekend in March this year this year yes 2023 and I was I've never worked with a feral or wild horse before I've only worked with domesticated horses that are used to people and so I was really excited and I've I've worked with people who work with Mustangs Uh and I was super excited and then very quickly learned that with this horse I had no idea what I was doing yeah yeah yeah, because you also don't have any idea. He could have mental illness. He could have metabolic problems. Uh, yeah. You just have no idea what the situation is. Yeah, we we noticed that he he doesn't try to jump the fencing. Like because I never used a lot of pressure, we never had an issue of him hurting himself, like being mm-hmm. scared, which is great. But he also wasn't super friendly and. I think about three weeks after I got him, not making any progress, um, I'd been working with Michelle with my dogs, actually. And she was like, you know, Ivy, I work with equids, too. (laughs) And I was like, oh, please, would you please help me with my horse? (laughs) Good for you guys. We have actually worked with um, horses. We have. Before together. So it was just kind of a, you know, casual reminder because I really wanted to um, to work with Swagger too. to share the fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause what better, right? It's a lot of fun to work with like-minded trainers and, yes. um, you know, have a sand sounding board and so on, because let's face it. Sometimes they drive us nuts. <laughs> yes, definitely. So do you have video? 
Yes. So I have a video from shortly after I got him. So like the third day doing some work with him in the pasture. And there's not a lot going on, but you can see that he did not want me to come up to him. He wasn't interested in being friendly. Like I saw a video recently of someone who got their Mustang and -hmm. they could feed him like Mm -hmm. on day two from the other side of the fence. No, he had no interest whether I had food or not. So I can do this quickly. So this is Swagger and I'm kind of walking in front of him. I hadn't started doing any clicker training with him yet or any food. Um, And I can skip around. He would kind of turn to face me, but if I got too close, he would just walk away. And when I would offer food, he just wasn't interested. He has a whole round bale of hay and fresh water and shelter, um, but no desire to see what, what I had at all. Um, and if I, you can skip ahead and he just kind of backs away. He doesn't even really turn to face me. He does a mm-hmm. little bit there. Um, but he's, he's pretty un- uncomfortable and not like, not even like super interested when I walk away from him. He doesn't like follow me. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like the least, uh, that he can get away with doing, but to evade any kind of engagement. Yeah. So, and then, so the video doesn't really show much else. He was never aggressive. Um, He would move away if I got too close and he would spook very easily. Now you say he would spook very easily, but you're obviously using some skill here because you don't spook him. That was my goal was to not spook him. A lot of times when I started working with Michelle, I saw areas where my body language needed to change because I would accidentally spook him completely Mm -hmm. unintentionally. Like I was, Michelle would be like, okay, now put that down and walk away. And I would like put it down and walk away fast and he would spook. And I was like, dang it, I should have walked slower. Yeah, there's so many nuances, right? The devil's in the details. Yes. Like where you're aiming your eyes, birds. Yes. I really had to work on that. Right at a bird it'll freak and but all animals are very aware of your gaze the angle that you approach at the way that you make the movements if you are touching a horse you don't want to pick up your hand and then suddenly land again somewhere else on the body there's just lots and lots of things that we have yes there's so much and michelle really helped me pay a lot more attention to where my body was pointed because I grew up with domesticated horses that were all very friendly and really did not care that I was pointing my body and my gaze at them. Yeah. So um, Michelle's helped you like level up to where you could work with zebras and more (laughs) feral horses more efficiently and so on. Michelle, from what you see here, if this were your zebra to start, what would you do with this particular setup? So the the zebra was actually uh, similar to this. When I started working with her, she was um, very, very fearful of uh, of people. She had actually... Um, she wasn't just wild. She had actually suffered some trauma. Uh, so she was very different. Swagger is, um, he's much more just uninterested, whereas she was outright 
fearful, um, mm-hmm. run away, lots of um, avoidance behaviors. So I would approach this very differently than I approached um, training the zebra. So the the biggest thing that um, that we worked on with Swagger when we started was just trying to get him curious. Um, because curiosity is the one mm-hmm. thing that actually overrides fear. So um, that was kind of the goal when we started with him. We used um, food and buckets to uh, get him to start interacting in some way with us. Um, and I did the same thing with the with the zebra, but in a very different way. Um, because again, she was she was very fearful. Um, and zebras are known to be aggressive as well. Mm-hmm. So I was very careful about this where um, Swagger is doesn't seem to have. Right, right. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'll make a comment. And um, but let me ask first, have had you come in on Swagger's case at this point yet? No. no okay. I, I'm not sure how long Ivy had him before I came in. So <clears throat> this is early. Shoot, what do I have the date for this? This is April, April 15th. Oh, this is April 15th. Michelle, the first video I have with buckets is I think the April 24th. Mm-hmm. So you were there early, but not quite this early. Yeah. So Ivy, just to save your life someday, um, exotic animal trainers do not sit down. Now, you were justified. You were justified because he just moved away. But the animals are expert at reading body language. And one thing they get way more than people do is whether or not you're in a position to act. Sure. So we'll hunker down. Yeah. But not sit down. I mean, not even on a bench. Oh, there you go. Yep. (laughs) So, um, so that can, that, that's something that I automatically are like, don't sit down, but then you were okay. okay. But (laughs) I I will say I worked with a trainer who is so good with her energy and with difficult animals. And she sat down with the dog she worked with. I never said a word because she had survived so much she knew what she was doing yeah but like if i'm responsible for somebody and they're coming <laughs> do not sit down period okay you'll be seeing i be sitting down a lot with swagger yeah yeah well we already know that we yes. already know that and and besides this is after the fact mm. and also it's not the same is it because he isn't the same animal that would, okay, here's a story from my life. My mom came to visit me and I could take her to work if she volunteered. So she agreed to volunteer at the National Zoo and she helped cut up the fish buckets and all that stuff. And we were in feeding Gunnar, the male gray seal, who's a great guy, but, you know, he wants to see what you're made of. <laughs> Can you blame him? So I got called out for some kind of important phone call And it was just going to take a minute. And I told my mom, well, keep the bucket between you and him and throw the fish over his head if he starts to come toward you. And my mom's like, what, 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 what? (laughs) 
but I was already gone. And so I come back and there's like, my mom is like a pitcher, man. She's throwing that fish over his head because the minute I left, Gunnar's like, well, hello, ma'am. I don't think we've met before, have we? How would you feel if I came up right next to your bucket and sat, oh, so close to your kneecap? <laughs> so this is a good guy, and he never caused me any problems, but they kind of can't resist mm. the opportunity. Okay, so we have some other videos. So um, I'll share screen now. And for those of you that are watching a video version, I apologize that I'm not on camera. I'm having computer problems today. Okay, so this is Swagger, and this is a very short video, but a very nice piece. And he's really engaging you there, it looks like. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Just 22 seconds. I'm checking to, yeah, it says the sound is on. I might have, I'm not sure if I would have left the audio or not. No sometimes problem. It can, sometimes Feel free it can, to speak over it if you want. Okay. I'll, I'll play it again. Okay. So this is during a session with Michelle. So Michelle will do virtual lessons. And um, so sometimes you'll hear me talking, but you won't hear Michelle's side of the conversation and it confuses mm. people. But <laughs> In this video, um, I wasn't feeling very well that day, which is actually why I'm sitting down now. Um, <laughs> now you're sensitized to that. I'm like, yeah, but I'll be sitting down in, in some of the other videos. But um, in, in that video, we had seen over the last couple of days was the first time Swagger had spent any amount of time like sniffing my hair and my head. Yeah. And it was very gentle. Again, as we've been doing this, we've seen that Swagger has never shown aggression toward me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and he's finally showing a lot more curiosity. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, so I'm writing some notes down here. Okay, so what did you think about him extending his paw out? So we have been trying to shape the behavior to put his his hoof on paving stones to mm -hmm. work toward being able to put on a hoof stand or even a paving stone where we can start to trim his mm -hmm. foot. Um, Got it. So and, he's kind of like offering you like, hey, you want to talk about this, right? Yes. And sometimes when he isn't sure what we want, he'll offer that behavior. Uh, and other time because he's been rewarded for it a lot because he kind of picks his foot up very nicely. And so we were like, we need to trim these feet. And so we've, we've heavily reinforced that. Okay. Got it. You ready to look at this one? Sure. Okay. So here he's engaging again, very different than not just your first one, but it took a while to get these breakthroughs, didn't it? This was from yesterday. Yeah. And so did he suddenly kind of switch gears yeah we were seeing i've been able to hand feed him while standing mm -hmm. in the last week or so maybe a little bit before that before i took a trip because i travel a lot in the summer so sometimes mm -hmm. there'd be big gaps where there was no training 
And then this this is the first time this has happened where he'd stand this close and I could feed him without extending my arm far away and he mm-hmm. wasn't reaching out far away to take the treat. So yeah. this was a big breakthrough for this moment. Good for you. Okay, here it comes. And so I'm also just touching his nose a little bit. We've been working on that a little, but just that he was just standing there very relaxed. This was the today or yesterday's session was kind of the most relaxed I'd ever seen him. Yeah, he looks relaxed. And then in just a minute, I'm going to ask him to back up and use my body to ask for that backwards. And then I'm going to mark give a treat and then back up again, encouraging him to come forward. When he takes a couple steps, I mark and give another treat. Okay. Cool. That's very nice. So the, the goal there, um, is we we are working on teaching him to back up but the goal there is actually a little little bit of reverse psychology almost where Mm -hmm. we're using um backing him up to build his confidence to coming forward and and even like just the Um, resistance to moving away yeah Mm -hmm. like you can't fire me i quit (laughs) that's how we got him uh coming up so close so quickly um in the in the last day or so okay well that's a good strategy so i i was trying to think i have one video lined up from stuff i do and you're kind of getting close to being past that so before i show that video anyway i wanted to ask how did you actually start contact training with the zebra what did you use to break through so that you could start to touch the zebra so the zebra i she had a little friend with her um a zebu which is a a Mm -hmm. type of cattle very small and um so i i kind of used him to get her interested and get her attention um, so you so would I, stroke him or um yeah actually I started with, with um just targeting so uh both nose to target and nose to hand and um she would watch me do that with him and mm-hmm. I would every time I did it with him I would offer the target for her as well first um a target stick because she was um would still stay in at quite a distance and then as she got confident and started moving closer, then I started offering my hand. And um, once I got the target, um, the nose to hand target, and she was confident with that, um, then I started teaching her a cheek to hand target. Um, and once I got that, then I could start kind of connecting the two. So I could touch her um, cheek and then run my hand down her face to her nose. Um And then as I kind of progressed from there, I started to teach her a shoulder to hand target and did the same thing. So I would go from hand on her cheek and run it down her neck to her shoulder. Okay. And interesting that you uh, made sure not to just pick your hand up and re-land. 
Uh, no, it's definitely a connecting the dots type of thing. So yeah. if I held out my hand, she would move the body part to my hand. And then from there, I could just run my hand um, down her, you know, across her body between target points. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I have two videos that I have lined up to show you related work. And one is using spoons to be able to touch animals that you can't touch. And so I wanted to show you that one first, but let's see where it is. And I can totally relate. I have almost as many tabs open on my browser as well. Yeah. Same. yeah can you see all these? It's terrible. Yeah. And, and look at how many windows I have open on the bottom. <laughs> I try it's, not to have that many on the bottom, but I can totally relate. Yeah, it's like really dangerous. And because I opened the two for you just now, I moved my other ones right off the edge of the screen. All right, so that's okay. I'll find it again. It's not hard. Oh, yes, it is, because this is a wrong channel. Hold on. <laughs> Those are, there we go. Okay. So this dog is actually fine with this. This is a very high drive German Shepherd. He's a great guy. He's my dog. He's the one I can't so-called fix. And he seems to have something like uh, autism. I used to teach people with severe autism. And yeah, there's triggers sometimes. And once the trigger happens, the person will start into some neurological response and they often call it a meltdown and it's scary for everybody, Yeah. but uh, it's often worse for the person that's having the meltdown. And I have a friend who is brilliant and articulate and um, I just love her, uh, but she has fairly severe autism. And if she gets upset, if she gets an overload of stimulus, she'll start to have a meltdown. And she says she can tell it's coming, but she can't stop it. Oh. Like once it starts and she will literally hit herself on the arms, legs and head and uh, I don't remember if she had problems with biting things, but there are other people that do. This is not a choice. Right. This is not a choice. So this guy, if he gets certain triggers, he'll go into kind of automatic action patterns. And that's what he doesn't get better at. And we, I've, I've helped so many dogs with problems related to coping with stress and managing their own emotions. So it's mostly what I do these days. And I've probably taken him to 20 seminars and worked him with the rest of the group to try to get him past this and did a lot of mm. extra stuff so that people could see, look, this is what we do in a, a more challenging case. And he just, it's like, um, Groundhog Day, <laughs> right? It's, it's always there. We're starting over again. Okay, but this isn't any, his, his problems aren't related 
to uh, food, but they are related to being touched. Yeah. This dog was very defensive about his body being touched. And so uh, we were talking about it in one of the classes. And so I decided to just make this as a demonstration. So it's a minute and 40 seconds. Play right now. Good. Look at that. Oh, that. Okay. So the first thing is nonstop talking. And there's a reason for that because a lot of trainers say, um, just hush. You're just huh. going to confuse the animal. Mm -hmm. But that's not true. And it turns out they've now done research that um, shows that a huge strategy for coping with stress is to engage the frontal cortex. So Elizabeth or Lisa Feldman Barrett wrote in her book, The um, How We Construct Emotions. She's a neuroscientist. And she said that the most effective thing that you can do to help an, a person through stress, go figure, she was thinking about people, not us, mm -hmm. and uh, is to just say what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that was like, all my alarms went off because this is exactly what we do. We narrate exactly what's happening. So the animal has the names. He gets the perspective. Like if he didn't see somebody coming up from the left, he now knows that someone's coming up from the left and that we know that and so on and so forth. So we go ahead. It's not like this. It's not like, hi it'll be okay how are you la 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 it's not like that at all it's like okay we're gonna pull your scruff up you're gonna get an injection it will ouch count of five one two three four five ready good you're done so that's what it often sounds like so i'm talking to him here and i'll just explain what i'm going to do um and here I'm going to use a spoon to feed him because when you're working with exotics, whether they're afraid of you or not, you're often not going to use your hands right. to deliver anything. And they often will not tolerate your hands. Just like Swagger did with avoiding you, they will keep out of reach or they'll just leave. Yeah. And so a way that uh, there's two things that I think might be interesting for you guys to try with swagger. And one of those is put a barrier up. Put a barrier up between you and swagger. Now, I looked at your setup as we were watching your videos. I don't have a good idea where or how maybe in the doorway that goes into that area. So you know how they have those um, stall guards? So yes. we actually have used a um, barrier. We've used um, two cones with a bar across them uh -huh. um, for some of the, the work. Swagger, yes. it, there's something very interesting about Swagger that, um, that I haven't encountered so much with um with any of the other animals I've worked with 
he's very, very deliberate and very clear about what he wants to work on. So sometimes he's very happy to um, work behind that barrier. And other times he makes it very clear that he'd rather the barrier not be there. And he wants to work directly with, um, with Ivy. So we kind of let him choose. Um, yeah, so we've, okay. done, we've done both. We have the, we do have the barrier. We have set, set that up and done a lot of stuff with the, um, with the pole between yes. Ivy and Swagger. Um, but then other times he's, uh, very, very clear. And we'll walk all the way around to the other side and say, we're working over here and not behind the barrier. So, but, so, it, but it is easy for us to set that up again. If there's certain exercises you think would work really well with that. Well, that's a really good point because um, it's not so much certain exercises. It's getting to a certain point and having a history of success Yeah, without having actual exposure so uh i'll i'll show it in a minute but i was working with a wolf in england and we we could go inside with him and we went inside with him and it's really interesting because i don't do that i don't go inside an enclosure with an animal if I can do it from outside. And it's not that I'm afraid of the animal or anything like that. It's that it takes up too much bandwidth. When I'm in there with the animal, you know, I saying, let's look at this idea or these words or this action. And the animal's going, what do you have in your pocket? What will you do if I step on your foot? What will you do if I put my nose in your pocket? What will you do if I, whereas if I'm on the other side of the barrier and with zoo animals, I'm often working right through the fence. Right. But it's a little harder with a horse because you are expecting to have more contact right away. But anyway, um, we were able to, we, we did a training plan and we, identified 40 things that we wanted to teach this wolf. And there were two wolves. So we had a total of four hours. So each wolf got two hours. And um, we were able to cover all of them. And what we did is we taught everything that we could over the barrier first. Mm -hmm. And then I left them to keep going on beyond that, you know, because like they don't need to pay me have a relationship with their wolf but it went so rocket fast like when that's all that that wolf had to do he really got it done whereas when I was in with him it was all that other stuff that I was telling you about and we also had another experience I certify trainers in the technique that I teach and sometimes I will invite certified trainers to go with me on training adventures and this one was at the um handicap riding center in the netherlands and they had uh, a bunch of horses that they needed help with now these are horses that are used in equitherapy and they have really nice they're kept so well and everything else but there's something really stressful about that job, I think. Yeah. Because these horses had a lot of angst. 
And it was hard to imagine like watching the people with them and everything else. It's like, what's not to love? But anyway, so we divided the trainers into four groups and we worked with four different horses. And we had 28 behaviors that we wanted to cover with these horses. And I was the leader of one group. And then there were three other trainers and they all led a group. And I asked people to please don't go in with the horses until you've done everything from the outside that you could. And then you could go in as it was safe. Mm -hmm. When we got to the end of the whole thing, I got all 28 done. Somebody else got something like 20 or 22 done. One group got 10 done and one group got eight done. And the difference was the two groups that got 10 and eight done got too excited about having contact with the horses and went in with them. Right. It literally made them less than half as effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can believe that for sure. So, yeah. So, it, so it's not a matter of like if, if you watch the video of um, Annette Harwood with Safi, and that's spelled S-A-F-F-I-E, she takes that horse from being a nasty little rascal to, um, you know, getting in a trailer and getting her feet done and correcting her nastiness and knowing all the things that she needed to know as a regular horse. And she did it in a total of 30 hours of training time. Yeah. But the initial training time, the very beginning of the video she takes, is this horse trying to nip at her over and over again. And then uh, all Annette's trying to do is touch body parts and name them. And Annette was, A, brand new to horses, and B, very new to what we do also. So it's not like she was practiced and fluent at this, but nonetheless, she was extremely successful. And after that initial, you know, session over the fence, she was able to move into the horse's area in progressive steps. And we can talk about that more at the end if we have time, if you're interested. And if you know, and, and maybe you're not interested, that's fine too. But anyway, the working through or over a barrier, I put for everything, even dogs. I don't care how well I know them. Okay. And it's just because I want to isolate their attention, like please engage with this material I'm teaching you. And it prevents them from making errors. And then I can um, reward them and reinforce them and praise them. And they quickly get into a habit of being successful. Yeah. So that was one thing. So, um, oh, but we haven't seen this video. So let's see this. This is specifically to start to be able to touch an animal that you can't touch at first. Okay, so I'm going to do it this way right now. Good. Look at that. Oh, that was a good bite. That was a good easy bite. Here's another easy bite. Good boy. Ready for one more? Good. Now what I can do here also is I could just switch right to the spoon. Okay, go sit back there again. Okay, ready? Let's do this with this one. Good. There you go. Let's see if we can show it a little better. 
Okay, get back. Oh, whoops. <laughs> you can't get good help mm, anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. There you go. You're good. Let's see if I can get it together. Okay, so this one's going to scratch your chest, okay? You ready? And I'm not saying you should start with a chest. Really, okay, it'll scratch your cheek like that. And there's your food. Good job. Oh, yeah. Good job. Very nice. I just love that. Now, hold on. I'll get you another one. Just love that good dog. Okay, you got to get all the way back here. Okay, so you do this one and you get this one. Okay, so I'm actually lying to you. That's not usually the way I actually do it. So the way I normally do it, and I, I'm so sorry, I can't just show you with my hands, but I pre-place both spoons, like definitely for a zoo animal. So with him, I just reached down and started rubbing on his fur with a spoon. But if you set up one as a muzzle target, mm -hmm. and then, but before you, you, you know, you can show them you're going to target here. And then I move the second spoon so that it's parallel, but more extended toward the animal. Mm -hmm. Now the animal can choose whether or not to come into the target for a reward or not. But if he does, he's going to brush along this second spoon. Now, because he's doing the motion. And he's making the choice. And I don't move anything. Yeah. I usually move along lickety split with this strategy. Like even when it's elands and other kinds of hoof stock like that, um, I've made very fast progress. And so, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask. So when are you with, with those animals you've worked with, are you, what are you using like, I get you have a, a, a target, and then what's in your other hand that's held out that's not moving? It, it's probably just a, another target. So let me just clarify. Um, for me, a target is anything that suits that purpose. So I'll yes. fold a paper to make a station target, yeah. or I'll use the end of a stick or something like that. There's a, a lot of people that go to a lot of trouble to make targets that have big foam ends on them and all that. And in real life, they really do get in your way. If you come from the marine mammal field, as I do, you use those kind of targets because they always end up getting away from you. Okay. And then they're floating in the pool and you've got to have a way to get them back out. And also the animals in oceanariums are usually large enough and extended over the water, all this stuff. So you need a long reach. Makes sense. Yeah. For a horse to have a big bulb on the end of a target um, is pretty cumbersome. I usually will use that rubber handle of like a dressage whip. Okay. I never use the hard metal disc handles. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That are fine if you're trying to make sure your whip doesn't slip through your hand while you're riding. But I had an intern that um, was using that with a horse, and the horse didn't even mean anything by it, hit her hand, 
and the thing flew up and hit her on the jaw and she could not eat for three days. So we just don't even have those on site. We just use the long rubber handles and uh, we use whips for all kinds of things, but we don't use them generally in the traditional way right. that whips are used. And I like to have a short one for working on the front end of the horse and a dressage one and also a short lunging whip. And I usually hold the lash back in my hand yeah, and just use the handle. And that way um, I can be targeting the muzzle, but also the hip. For example, if I want to rotate that horse on his front quarters, I can set that front target and then just rotate the hips. And that takes us to a thing that I think will be um, very useful to you, but I'll tell you about that soon. That is steady leg. Okay, so the other thing, the other video I have here that I'm actually interested to see what the heck it has. I did it so long ago, but it had the same <laughs> title. Okay. Okay, can you sit? Good. So here's two okay, so there's the food. Food. You gotta or leave two it. wooden implements. Okay, and when you get easy, when you get easy, you get... So here's for a high drive dog. And... Um, so I just covered one spoon with the other, whereas that's a little different from what I was describing with antelopes or other animals that you might want to touch them eventually. Then I would line it up with the muzzle target and then with the other one parallel. But I will tell you, even if I'm going to be working with my hands around a horse's head, I will almost always set both targets right up front. It's just way more efficient to have the horse move into the set targets mm -hmm. than yep, to have a target and then try to move in on the horse's yes. face. Okay. Yes. Yes. So that makes a lot of sense. We'll see if I show you anything useful here. <laughs> now, here's the thing that I love about looking at this right now. Did you hear me tell him to get easy? If he could mm -hmm. be easy. So we teach this concept. Do you see what he's doing with his eyes? Mm -hmm. It's like, I am the easy. Give me the food. <laughs> Ooh, that's pretty. Oh, look at those eyes. I saw that. <laughs> what a little manipulator. <laughs> it's like those in the cartoons where the eyes get Yeah, really yeah. Big. Googly eyes. <laughs> Whoa. Look how easy that is. Very good. Very good. You play a good game there. Okay, you ready? Oh, that's not easy. That's not easy. My great video That's, skills. Nope. <laughs> <That's laughs> I've got three in here this time. So they're three, telling they him the amount now, mm -hmm. so that we really start him thinking about just erroneous easy details. Look really. at that good face. Look at that good face. But can you get easy on the ground? Like really easy. Oh, Aww. yeah. Almost. That's a good cat going by there, isn't it? Okay. Easy pause. Easy. Easy eyes. How are your eyes? Your eyes are alert. Nope. Almost. Easy on the ground. Good. 
three of them. One, two, three. Good job. Okay, you can stand up if you want. Now you see the other dogs right next to <sighs> you. Try to let them watch each other work as much yeah. as possible. Okay, so maybe there's more there, but maybe we'd rather move on to the next thing. So I will take us to the website. That's my little monkey. She lived to be 32 years old and she was a um, proof of concept for teaching monkeys to be aids for quadriplegics. Okay, so here's the wolf. Okay, so this is actual real-time training, and that's how fast it is. So he gets presented with a thing. He makes contact. He gets a name, and about 30% of the time, he's going to get some kind of a reinforcer. Mm -hmm. We don't do a lot of repetition. This okay. whole thing in operant condition where you have eight repetitions before you change something, we'll all get old that way. Mm. Okay. So, and when we test the animals later, they retain most of what we cover, even at this speed. Now, the stuff, um, it's a little bit like a story, you know, okay, here's the station, here's the finger target, here's the station target, here's the target pole. Something we also teach very early on, like in the next minute or so, is that these have priorities, so a finger target is always the highest priority because that's attached to you. Next is the pole because you directly hold it. And the last priority is the station because it can be remote. Now there's a really important reason for doing that. And that is because sometimes if you have stations in an animal stall, for example, uh, they've had problems where let's say there's a fire and you take a horse out of the stall, but you didn't close the gate, they they'll will run. Yeah. yeah, they'll go back in. Or, you know, if God forbid, if you had an animal that identifies with, I'm a good animal, I'm going to go stand on my target and you can't call them away. Right. So, the, right. As soon as we teach the actual targets, we teach the hierarchy. The timing of when you move the targets in order to capture their attention is part of it. Good station. Good, nice work. So what we do instead of repetition is mental mapping. So the difference is that instead of repeating the same thing, you're going to integrate something you just presented with another idea. And then you'll do it again. So let's say you're going to touch the ears. Um, this is your ear. 
This is your left ear. Do you have another ear? This is your other ear. This is your right ear. Then we would hold our hands up next to the ears and dip into the left one, naming it. That's your left ear. That's your right ear. Can you touch back your left ear? And if the animal doesn't touch back right away, we'll touch them again to initiate. And there's a certain way that you touch in order to create this uh, touchback target. And then it's so close that the hands are held in direct contact with the animal's ear already. That way we can perceive the smallest change in contact. Yeah. The instant we feel that animal dip in that direction at all, X, and we're on to the next thing. So it would be a very typical thing would be ears, left ear, right ear, eyes, left ear, left eye, right eye. Um, can you show me your uh, left eye? Can you show me your right eye? Can you show me your left ear? Can you show me your right ear? Can you show me your right eye and your right ear? Mm-hmm. Can you show me your right eye and your left ear? And when we do this, we hold our hands up in what you call neutral targets. So there's two targets extended on either side of the animal's face, and they just have to move into contact. And the reason we do it that way is because if you say, can you show me your left ear and you move your hand (laughs) into progress? Yeah, you're cueing him, right? Yes. Yes. So if you have two targets equidistant already in place, they're not distracting him or intimidating him or anything else. He simply has to respond appropriately to get the credit. Yeah. So we would go from that to doing um, the rest of the face, the shoulders, the front arms, all that kind of stuff. And um, again, it goes really quickly. When we talk about this wolf learning 40 things, it included the three kinds of targets, the target hierarchies, distance, direction, duration, um, body parts, all kinds of body parts, all kinds of names of places in his area, names of activities. And that that mounts up very quickly. But as soon as we did one, we would then cross-relate it. Okay, that's your doorway. Can you target the pole in your doorway? Great. Can you target the station on your right fence? So he's got to correlate the name of the fence that he just learned. Now, a great thing about this is it's challenging. It's interesting for them. Yeah. And it gets them and keeps them engaged. So what you're going to to see next is we often want the animal to line up his body right alongside the barrier. So that you can take a hair sample or feel his ribs or um, give him a shot or whatever. So getting him to be able to orient on either side and to do that, two points determine a line. So we will usually do a shoulder target and a hip target. Mm -hmm. And if you understand how to initiate the target using Um, a certain kind of touch. Literally, I went through a bunch of animals 
camels and also a lot of giraffes to teach this. And it literally took between 30, 45 seconds to get either a hip target or a shoulder target. Wow. And we would do both. And if you don't know how to initiate the touchback, you can be a long time doing it. So it's, <laughs> the devil is in the details. Yeah. Anyway, let's see it with him. Okay, now that was on your right side. Have your right shoulder and your right hip. Right shoulder, right hip. See how I preset the target? Mm -hmm. So there's displacement behavior. Yep. Okay, so he's thinking. So that displacement is almost always the animal saying, very politely, I need some time to think about this. So I just ignore it and give him some time. So he comes over. This is his owner, Phil. Uh, Phil is the head of this trust that has these wolves. And so Phil knows not to engage him independently. Don't assure him or anything like that. So he goes away, and it's very typical what happens next. Left shoulder. Good, 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 good. Left. Yep. So I interpret that as a question. <laughs> I named the right shoulder and he's like, well, I think I know what that is. So, so this is another thing that I think would save a lot of time for you guys. And that is to um, handle concepts in opposing pairs, right versus left, up versus down, over versus under. Okay. Or even just two different body parts. Yeah. Okay. So here he goes. How do you read his expression? It looks like he's asking another question. Okay. And what question do you think that is? I think you're right. I think he's already asked that question and assessed the answer. And and I think that I think he kind of reviewed like okay, this is the right side. Now you notice he's well, you'll see when he does the left side the difference. But do you believe that he's comfortable and confident here? I mean, I think he, he figured out what you wanted, but he looks worried. Okay. I don't think he's worried, just so you know. Okay. Do you see he's leaning into the fence? Yes. Can you tell that? Yes. So when an, when a dog leans on you, they kind of have an early warning signal if you move. <laughs> yeah. And his ears back, he's listening, but he's thinking. He's got that soft focus. Now watch here, because you can literally see this guy processing stuff. Here we go. I would like your left side. This I would like your left side. Right, X, right, Ribs. Okay, this is your right side. Where's your left side? Good boy. Good, easy. Easy, good boy. Okay, so that's him coping with yep. 
the excitement. So a lot of people see that as a sign of stress. It is not a sign of stress. That is an animal going, okay, now let me get this straight. Mm -hmm. So he seemed to be very happy to get scratched on his shoulder and his hip. He's moving into action. Boy, can I have your left side? Good, 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 good. Left side. Here's your muzzle. Good, good, good. And your shoulder out. Preset target. Yep. Now can I have your left side? Good, 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 good. That's left, left, left. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah, that's my boy. Good boy. Okay. So there. He was asking a question. He's come to a conclusion. He knows what I really want and he moves right into it. Yeah. But first he wanted to retain his uh, privilege to decide. Yeah. So when they first come in, he came in just muzzle and shoulder. And then the next time he came in and uh, did the hip and the shoulder. But you notice I do not try to go from muzzle and shoulder and like start moving back down his side. Right. Right. Yes. If he doesn't want to offer it, you're not going to put yourself, you're not going to. I won't even accept it. Okay. And here's why. Because we know that when the animal learns, it's exciting and the stress builds up. And I can't read how much stress that is. And the animal can't either. Okay. So if you let them go too far, even though it's all good, they'll get kind of too excited. Mm -hmm. And that can actually make things go not as well as they could be. So I'll just tell you what ended up happening at the end with this particular wolf. Um, And unfortunately, my colleague that was videotaping turned the camera off. But after we were done training, he laid down and pushed a foot through the fence to me. And so I started out naming his toes and all that, and then massaging his feet. And he arched back and stretched and yawned and pushed all four feet through. (laughs) So I'm doing all of his feet, and I hear the staff behind me going, that is freaking amazing. Because... You know, my my whole history with that wolf is just that two hours. But the thing about it is that if I follow those rules where I define everything as we go, so I, I define every word and then show them, and I never take more, I, you know, do exactly what we say, and then pull back and let them process. It's just like you guys were saying about the horses wanting their teeth done. If they have a chance to process what just happened, then they do want to continue it and they will ask. And that makes all the difference. So the last video, uh, if I can find my way out of this, there we go. is the rhino video 
And I did, after someone mentioned it, I did go and watch it. It was really cool. The yeah. rubbing caused the abscess or the abscess. Thanks. Um, it, it's just so amazing because remember I said, I think you can really up your efficiency. So they've been trying for eight months to get this guy to do it. And I just went over the very first, but the first thing is he's rubbing on the wall. And I just named that. Yeah. And you, you can see there's nothing that makes him come over here. And what they gave me to work with him is his cut up fruits and vegetables that he gets every day anyway. And we will now let you know that he does not like the oranges to begin with. <laughs> and I got him to eat oranges only because I didn't know any better because I kept going, your oranges on the ground, like he would want it. <laughs> and finally, he's like, if I eat the dang orange, can we get past that? Yes, now that you mentioned it. And then, of course, I find out he doesn't like them. But anyway, at this point, I'm going through and showing him everything. And I'll show the animals on my own arm. I'll pinch myself. I'll sometimes even prick my own skin. I'll say, ouch, I never try to hide from them uh, that it's painful or that it tastes terrible or anything else. But the formula is I show them. Then I draw back and give them processing time. And then at some point, you're going to see this guy whip away from me and I whip away from him. So I'm going to mirror the animal most of the time. So abscess causes the rubbing, but it needs treatment. They want to flush the abscess with. So you see he's interested. Now, the reason I go through all this at the beginning is all these professional trainers watch this. And one of my favorites said, well, I don't see any training happening here, but I see a lot of neat stuff with a rhino. Uh -huh. So training is 90% communication. Whatever's not communication is motivation. So right here, do I have this rhino's interest? Yeah. Exactly. And I have something scary in my hand because they've been trying to get him to let them flush his abscess. And he's like, are you guys stupid? It hurts. Mm. So what I literally said to him before this is they think this is going to help you. So they want to flush your hole in your abscess with betadine and water. I don't think it will sting. If you don't do it, they're going to use the squeeze chute. Mm -hmm. That is literally what I told him. But I will not try to, like, I don't put food on the ground and then try to stick a needle in yeah. an animal, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I'm... Uh, I'll be quiet, but this is just so that people can see the little steps that are involved because they are not able to process it in real time. With a mixture of antibiotics or betadine and water. They've tried to do this for months, but he would not cooperate with them. We're going to start by explaining things for him. We will name and explain activities like the rubbing and eating. We'll name foods like apple, orange, tomato, 
body parts like lip, chin, horn, directions such as right, left, up, down, middle, There's equipment the such as the mm -hmm. syringe and the tube, substances such as air and water. After we name and explain everything that will be involved in this process, we demonstrate the medical procedure for the rhino. Then we ask him to allow us to do this. He does allow us. This is one training session. There's me in the orange. I'm naming the treats just so he knows the vocabulary. Okay, so theoretically, they can't see very well. Mm -hmm. right. So if he can't see very well, how did he do that? That just blows my mind. Okay, so the last thing, uh, any comments or anything about this? I, I was going to leave it now. But... That was, that was, it's really cool. And it's, it's, uh, I watched that a couple days ago and I listened to one of your podcasts and it makes a lot more sense seeing it after I've learned a little bit. So it's really right, easy. right. 
And there you saw that place where he takes his head away and I take yep. my head away. And, um, and I think that's why he just goes forward each step. So the whole training session, it's ironic because uh, I took this, uh, she had a horse farm and, and hosted seminars and she and her husband went with me to the zoo to do this. And she was in my class again. And I was able to go, whoa, remember when? And she goes, yes, that was amazing. Great. How long did it take? I have no idea. I'm like, dang, you know, because you don't often have the actual eyeball witness. But anyway, um, one training session. And my entire history with this guy is right here. Yeah. You know, there's nothing that comes before. So it is exactly like the horses wanting the guy to do their teeth. You get in and you do something useful, let them think about it. And then if they feel like you can be trusted, then they'll sign on for the next little increment. And it's very important in my experience to give them that processing time because two things happen. Uh, and by the way, I have to give them processing time if I just explain something to them. So uh, the bridge, the good, 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 that tells them the good means you did it. The good, 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 good means you're on the right track. So the speed of those is eight per second. So if he stops hearing bridges, he can look back, what were you doing an eighth of a second ago that's different? Yeah. And they become virtually self-correcting. But um, if he doesn't complete the thing, he still knows that he got it all correct up to this point. Whereas with operant conditioning, they don't officially recognize the usefulness of the intermediate bridge. And that is really a shame because it is so powerful so powerful it's hard to overestimate how important it is i i kid the trainers that get this training all the time because um I'll, i try to buy back their intermediate bridge from them i will pay you and you don't use the bridge anymore and they're like uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> now mm-hmm. the other thing that's really that they all say is the most bang for their buck is simply the narration that doesn't take any training skill at all. So with these two tools, we've done two things. With the narration, we've removed all kinds of uncertainty. Yeah. <clears throat> so now the animal knows what we're, you know, like if I'm going to touch your body, how much am I going to touch it? Yeah. What part am I going to touch, etc. cetera. But um, the other thing that we do is with the bridges, we get rid of the need to have perfect timing. Because theoretically, if you know exactly what you're going to do, okay, hold on, we're, we've run just a little bit later than mm-hmm. I anticipated. And so I have to go make sure that we don't get cut off of our meeting. And we're almost done anyway, but 
Okay. Phew, thank you for your patience with that. Um, so if you have to know, let's say you have a dolphin doing a high jump. And you know when that dolphin is going to intersect with that high jump. So you're ready to bridge. But another dolphin knocks the first dolphin off course. So even though the dolphin did everything right, it didn't complete the behavior. And in operant conditioning, you don't. You would have nothing to mark. And reinforce. Nothing to mark, nothing to reinforce, no information. Yeah. No acknowledgement that they they it wasn't their fault. Nothing. But with the intermediate bridge, even if you totally fail to mark the endpoint, that animal got that entire sequence marked yeah. right up to the point where it was no longer correct. So what happens is the animal is confident. Yeah. And next time. Yeah. And you've got the vocabulary. So you can say, come on back. Let me give you some fish on your own because that was not right. What happened to you? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I think part of what really irritated some of the trainers is like, if I say so myself, I have very good reactions. Thank you very much. But with the intermediate bridge, it levels the playing field. You don't have to have really good reactions so people that were not the aces could perform right alongside with the aces because they didn't have to have that lightning sharp timing mm -hmm. so yeah. so those are two things and i said that um clicker training deviates from operant conditioning mm -hmm. in a number of different places um, we don't, we can talk about that or we don't have to, or we could talk about it another time. I but, would love to talk about it another time because I'm super, I'm super interested to know what the differences are. Yeah. And it'd be good to kind of keep our subject to what, <laughs> so the last thing I want to mention tonight is I talked about steady leg. Yes. And the progression for the targets. And it turns out that it's almost reflexive for a horse to lift his foot when you start to touch his leg. Mm -hmm. And it can be dangerous. And even the horse pawing, like that horse was very careful. Swagger was very careful when very he put his paw forward. But mm -hmm. you're sitting on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the first thing, let me put it this way. We teach, we teach the brakes before we teach the gas. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with steady leg. That's an extremely useful concept because if yeah. I want to look at your leg, I don't necessarily want you picking it up. And the way we start is we start up by the shoulder and we target just down to the elbow. Yep. And then go back up and let it rest. Then we go a little past the elbow. The next trial, go back up to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So we're making cycles. Yeah. So shoulder to elbow, up, shoulder past the elbow, shoulder to the mid arm, shoulder to the knee, 
show until we get all the way down to the bottom, then we'll increase the duration. It isn't until that point that we will start to work on targeting feet. Right. So, and if we can't get that close to him, obviously, so what would you recommend? Like what, if, if you had swagger. Wooden spoons. Okay. I, I'm, I'm very willing just to go out there and try it, but we're not even that close yet. We can use his target. So yep, yep. if we had a couple of his targets, then I have to. Yeah. So we can. Yeah. Use yeah. So, so let's say. And then target to. Yeah. Okay. Like you could use a station or a hand target for his muzzle. Preset a wooden spoon or riding crop or be careful because a riding crop could be a trigger or maybe not. Maybe he's never seen one. But yeah. anyway, just be thinking of that. Put it in position so he's the one that makes contact. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll angle the thing over so they kind of have to make contact yeah. in order to get to the muzzle target. Okay. And at first I'll set it so that he just barely touches with his chest. And then he touches with his shoulder and then. And then okay. I'll start scratching him and so yeah. on. And then I'll start doing the cycles and then I'll switch to a longer target. That makes sense. And yeah. then I'll start targeting the knee, not the foot. Okay. And then I'll work down to the foot. When I get down to the feet, I have found horses have a really hard time stepping forward to a target. They would much rather pick up and sit down again in the same place or pick up and step forward. Oh, rather so, than hold their foot out and touch the target. With their or foot. move directly forward, just sweep their foot forward. Like when you're trying to teach a horse to square his stance. Yeah. I have tried using a board as a reference point so they could move each hoof in reference to that and then sense the proprioception so they could kind of memorize what it feels like yep. to be standing square. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I often ended up just picking up the foot, placing it and then saying that's square <laughs> and then moving them a step back and saying, can you get square again? So that's it. It's um, very simple. And again, rest in between so they can process it. So guys, I would love to see what you come up with. If you decide to use any of these things, love to see your video and uh, any other video you have of projects you're working on. Yeah, well, definitely. We'll have to play around with uh, with this a little bit and see what we can come up with. Yeah, and I'm putting more and more video. The problem with my video is I don't explain anything because it's all for classes. Right. And so, like, there's no explanation. But what it is is there's no studio either. You know, it's real time. And you're seeing exactly all the steps. And kind of the presumption is if the animal can figure it out, you're the superior being. Mm -hmm. But it is different because the animal experiences it a different way than you visually seeing it. Anyway, um, any comments or questions or uh, anything else you want to share 
What about your contact if people want to contact you? Go ahead, Michelle. <laughs> okay. Um, I can be found pretty much everywhere. Um, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, and my website is all essential animal training. Um, so essentialanimaltraining.com is my website and essential animal training is my handle on both Facebook and Instagram. And I do uh, virtual coaching. I work with dogs, um, equid species and most uh, exotic pets as well. So, and I coach people virtually usually. I do some in-person stuff too, but most of uh, most of what I like to do is virtual. I coach people like I'm coaching Ivy. Very cool. And Ivy, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I also have my website. My website is ivyshorses.com. Basically, if you Google Ivy and horses, you will find social media, my website, YouTube. Uh, and I specialize a lot with gated horses and I do a lot of riding. Um, and I do some of the clicker training and behavior work, but I'm, I would say, much less experienced in that. Got it. Well, I'll bet you there's going to be people that are going to want to follow Swagger with you. He's very Swagger's good. is a lot of fun, and he's a gorgeous horse, too. Yeah, he's and kudos to you guys, because I see the patience and the resourcefulness that you've already invested, and it's outstanding, so I wish you every success. And I thank you for coming to talk to me about it. It's been a lot of fun. And Thank you so much for being willing to help. I'm... I'm open to doing anything that will help Swagger, especially so we can get his feet trimmed. So I'm really excited to go do this next week. And you can be sure that we'll take videos and <laughs> and share that with you with the updates. Yeah. And you could share outstanding. with Outstanding, outstanding. And it's so much fun to just get to collaborate together as trainers. So thank you for joining me to do a podcast. And everyone, thank you so much. Please share this, help the word get out about the important work of these trainers and you're sharing it, commenting and uh, listening really help in every way. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Good night, ladies. Thank you. Good night. Hey fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.